Thanks, everybody. How are you all doing today? Yeah, you good? You good? Well, we are. Manchester's had a great time at South by Southwest. So thank you uh, to everyone who's organised it and made us uh, so uh, welcome. Thank you to you for being here as well. It's my great privilege to set the scene for a conversation today with a group of people who on Monday I described as the ultimate Manchester band. A big statement. Some disagreement in the room already, I can tell. A big statement. But I just want to say a little more about why it's also a true statement. How many artists or bands can you name whose music from the 70s, 80s or 90s is as current today as when it was written? I would say that's a vanishingly small list, but it's a list that New Order are definitely on. They've stayed relevant right throughout the ages. But the bigger reason why I use that description is because they embody the values of our city region. They proclaim proudly what Manchester and Greater Manchester has been all about through the ages. We're a city region that is always future-facing. People called us the original modern city. Always embracing modernity and technology, entrepreneurial, successful. However, doing all of that by being true to our roots as a progressive city region. A place with a big heart where people give back. And that's what Greater Manchester is all about. It's actually, I would say, more than a city. And this is somebody born in Liverpool speaking here, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that says something about Manchester, doesn't it? That they would have somebody born in Liverpool as their mayor. That, that tells you how open-minded and uh, welcoming they are. It is more than a city. It's a, it's a kind of way of thinking. It's a, it represents a way of life, a philosophy. It's about economic progress and social progress going together hand in hand. Manchester's always been fighting for a better world. A hundred years ago, it was the home of the suffragettes who fought and won votes for women in our country, but all over the world. Go back to the American Civil War, when Manchester was the cotton capital of the world. It's the place where ordinary people, workers in those cotton mills, voted that they would not handle slave-picked cotton. Think about that. 160 years ago, the working people of Manchester said black lives matter. That's something, isn't it? But I, th I think that is what makes us such a, a natural partner to Austin. Don't you? Same values. If the world was more like Manchester and more like Austin, the world would be a better place. All people are equal in our city. There's no room for hate or discrimination. Uh, we have a simple way of approaching things. There's no room uh, for culture wars uh, where, where we are. And we've been at Southwide to just go a little bit further. You know, we are the home of the cooperative movement, but we're bringing forward an international music conference later this year in October, and you'll hear more about it in a moment. It's gonna be a cooperatively run music conference. So collectively owned, democratically controlled.
to complement South By, where we can get the issues of the day debated, where music as an industry can change, but also then drive social change. And that brings me to the conversation that's about to happen, because it was in the UK Parliament where Bernard Sumner and I were, were there to talk about how music can change the way people think about mental health, given the band's kind of obvious history with that, with that issue. And then we said, well, let's go, to, let's go to South By. Let's go and make an impact and proudly say what Manchester is all about. The place that led the first industrial revolution is now going to lead the next one, but doing it in the right way. A, a economically successful world, but a more equal world at the same time. And that's why we're here. For me, it says everything about the people that you're about to meet, that they travelled around the world to help us tell you about this great uh, city of ours. So I'm going to kind of leave it there, but I'm now going to hand over to Will uh, Hodgkinson, rock and pop critic for The Times, who's going to take you through a conversation with Stephen Morris, Gillian Morris, Bernard Sumner, the ultimate Manchester band, New Order. Bernard, Stephen, Gillian, thank you so much for being here and doing this. I'm going to start by saying the first time I heard New Order, I was 12. It was during my thankfully short-lived breakdancing phase. And um, we were popping with the crew. And inevitably, it was Blue Monday. It came on. And it sounded to me like, obviously, it sounded like the future, but it was so deep with emotion, a kind of sadness. And yet, it was this kind of machine music. I never heard anything like it in my life. It sounded like the future then. And the incredible thing is, New Order still sound like the future now. So I'd like to talk to all three of you about the past, present, and future of New Order and the part in Manchester music. There's a quote I read uh, uh, describing New Order in an interview. It said, it's music by anti-musicians. I don't know if that's true, but I'm interested to know your thoughts on that. It, it probably sounds like the sort of thing Tony Wilson would have said. It sounds a lot like Tony Wilson. Yeah. Um, we, we weren't really anti-musicians, but we were um, anti-success, really. We didn't, we didn't conscientiously try and be successful. We just... Um, I can only speak about myself personally. Let Stephen Gillian express what, 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 what started them in it. But for me, it is, um, uh, I had a terrible time in the education system. I hated school, and I felt suppressed by it. As John Lennon said in The Working Class Hero, they, they beat you and hurt you for 20 odd years, then they expect you to pick a career. And I think that's a great lyric, and that's how I felt. And I wanted to rebel against it, and then punk came along and, and said, yeah, rebellion's cool. And we got into punk music, and um, it, punk music, music showed us that you could express yourself without having to be a virtu virtuoso. Uh, you could just, you know, three chords, you could make a great song if you use your imagination rather than your hands. Um, so we, we weren't anti-music, we were just um, um, didn't do it for reasons of fame. I didn't want to be famous, I didn't care about that at all. I didn't want any hit records, I didn't care about that at all. 
I was happy to subside on like a small amount of money. Um, but the big thing was to travel around the world having fun after being suppressed for so many years at school and told that you're, you're no good, you know, and, and to go and get, you know, teachers telling you you're no good at anything and then getting public recognition who tell you you are good and what you're doing we're interested in. So those are the reasons, really. It seems like a, also, I've always felt New Order's kind of like an autodidact band in a sense. You know, I remember, I think you said once that you had a teacher at primary school who kind of actively encouraged you not to learn. But, you know, you look at New Order's music and there's so much reference in there, there's so much, you know, it goes, it expands beyond music and it's, it's about things that are interesting about life. So it seems like it's yeah. things that have to come, you discover as opposed to, you know, it's been set out for you. Yeah, I had a, it was a rainy day at school and I was, uh, I was stuck inside the classroom and I was looking through a library. I picked up a book of poetry and it was by Walter de la Mare, I remember, and I was reading it and a teacher came up to me and went, what are you reading that for? He said, where, where you live, you're going to end up working in a factory. You're just wasting your time, you know. That was the kind of attitude at school that I'm referring to. But, um, but, but what made you two... Um, well, I thought it was better than working in a mill, and um, I, I didn't really want a proper job. I'd successfully got myself uh, removed from school, so education and me weren't getting along, so I thought a band would be a good thing to do. Unfortunately, um, I couldn't play an instrument to save my life. Um, <laughs> never made, I kept trying to play the guitar, I couldn't even manage three chords. So, um, it's never too late to learn, Steve. It's too late. <laughs> it's too late. And luckily, there was a rule in rock and roll that the worst guitarist becomes the drummer. And I, I gladly <laughs> followed that, uh, that, that learning. And it, it worked out for me. You know, and it, was, it, was, it was easy. All you had to do was wave your arms about with bits of wood at the end. And yeah, it was great. great <laughs> there you way. go. I really enjoyed it. I found something that, uh, that generally brought pleasure to me and uh, pain and discomfort to my neighbours. So, yeah, win-win. Gillian, how about you co coming, into, coming into New Order after Joy Division and everything that happened with Joy Division? I'm sure everyone here knows about the yeah. tragedy of Ian Curtis's death. So what was the atmosphere like? And, and what, were your, what, what were your feelings on taking up this life? Um, well... I wanted to be in a band anyway at school because punk came along and I didn't see many women guitarists so I thought I'll do the electric guitar. I played acoustic guitar at school and I enjoyed that. So um, when I'd, I was always going to see bands in Manchester because we lived in Macclesfield. Ian and Stephen lived in Macclesfield. Thank you. <laughs> And uh, we used to like hire these minibuses with our friends and go to concerts so that we could come back home because the trains were always um, not working or too late, too early, sorry. So I just sort of used to see Joy Division, um, going to see the gigs and just got to know them. So, but when Ian died, it was pretty awful. You know, it was really sad joining the group, but the attitude is you like to carry on, which was great because uh, it's the first time I've ever been abroad or anything. So first gig was in Amsterdam and it was just amazing. 
It was like us against everybody else. That's how it felt, like a little gang. Yeah. Because a lot of people were expecting Joy Division, you know, sort of music, and to bring another man into the group, I suppose. So there were a lot of disappointed faces. Well, that's a big... It's also a big thing to take on for a band which was, had such a distinctive sound and to say, OK, well, we're not going to be... We're not going to do that again. Yeah. You know, and to really change not just the sound, but the way the entire music was made. I'm interested to know how much of that was a conscious decision or if it just felt like, well, this is... We can't carry on like we were because mm. Ian's no longer with us. Well, there was a bit of synergy there because um, I think the first album we made, which was Movement, was a bit like Joy Division. And I, I felt a bit uncomfortable, A, being the singer, but A, not having a direction other than what I'd heard Ian do, you know. And I never really wanted to be a singer. And so the first album, Movement, was a bit Joy Division-ish. It just didn't... It, it felt like a... It didn't feel like a, a well-made suit, you know. It felt, to me, personally, a bit like a badly fitting suit. And just the synergy bit is that just at, at that moment in time, after movement, movement was difficult to make because we were, we were all depressed after Ian dying and Martin Hanna, our producer, was depressed and seeking solace and drugs and it... it, it um, it was very difficult to make, and then we were like, oh, what we're going to do, what we're going to do, and then I noticed this new, this technology started appearing. We'd use the bit in Joy Division, we used a bit of um, uh, synthesizers, um, and, but new technology came along that allowed instruments to communicate with each other, you know, um, and it was pre-MIDI, so I made a little sequencer and a, a little synthesizer, and and we, we wired them all together with cables. And, and um, I remember being in a studio in London one day, and, and Steve had a drum machine plugged into a little Oberheim synth. And he it, it said, look, if you press this note, it plays the rhythm. I'm like, what? Give it <laughs> and, uh, and then we took it in the studio, and we showed Martin Hannett. And he, he said, right. And he rethought it, and he, he connected it to the tape machine. And I think he took the high up out of the tape machine and plugged it into the synthesizer and we wrote a track called Everything's Gone Green. You triggered from the higher. And um, so that was the start of a new um, revolution in music, really, um, that you, you could, you know, you could... And, and then it was like, mm, right, OK. And then we started going to dance clubs. Um, we had a friend in London... Um, who was the manager of Heaven uh, Club? Um, always in when we were on tour, we used to go to the Star Club in Dallas. Mm -hmm. Is it Dallas? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and clubs here in Austin, and we always used to go to a lot of clubs, and we started in this club music, but it was made with regular instruments, and sort of got the idea that you, that you could make that kind of music using electronic instruments. I mean. Other bands were doing it. The Human League, Kraftwerk were doing it, but not really making dance music. So sort of had the idea to make specifically dance-orientated music with it. And eventually that led to Blue Monday. 
I suppose the big difference between, well, not so much Human League, but with, with Kraftwerk is that they were, you know, they avant-garde classical musicians who then went into electronics, but you were a band, you know, with guitars mm. going into electronics. And so it's a very, very different approach. Well, by necessity, we had to reinvent ourselves because we couldn't be Joy Division Mark II. It just wouldn't work without mm. Ian, you know. It wasn't the same. Um, we'd made a huge statement with Joy Division and we couldn't keep repeating that statement. So we had to do something radically different. And it was just, you know, so happens that that, that synergy, that the um, this seismic shift in music came along just at the right time for us um, with electronic music, yeah. And this is pre, I mean, really, when you think of, excuse me, well, Steve, Dave and everything. Steve used to listen to early, um, um, German electronic music, didn't you? Oh, yeah, no, that, 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 the, the unfortunately named Krautrock, and, you know, and guys like Noi was a big influence, and um, Cluster, and the people like that. I was, I, I was re re really into that. But it was, I think I just saw, um, carrying on my lack of musical ability, electronic instruments would be a, a, a way of cheating. <laughs> and, and They'd basically it, be making your life easier. Yeah, but it, it, it turned out that, that, that to be the opposite way uh, round, that to actually work all this gear, you want to get a bit more musical about it, and you had to start understanding how music was made in a kind of abstract way, whereas with Joy Division, it was all very... Um, it was emotional. We were just people playing in a room, and you had to sort of think about what you wanted the machine to do, and then try and speak its language, which was very convoluted most of the time. Yeah, and I, th I think it was, int you know, it's just boys' toys, interesting. Oh, what does this do? What does this button do? What does that do? Never mind the manual, just let's plug this and see what happens. It was interesting from that point of view. And then along came computers and we started using the Apple One. Uh, the Apple Two, yeah, the uh, other, was very unfortunate Apple. experience with the, anybody who's tried to make music on an Apple Two will tell you that it, it was, but we, it was but we not started. right for the job. When was this, like, 85? <laughs> no, early, uh, 81, 82. Oh, really 81, early? 82, yeah, yeah. yeah I got this, um, I got an Apple, I'd always want a computer because of the same things, you just tell a computer and it'll do magic for you. And, um, yeah, I got one and it could play uh, Thur Elise. Um, <laughs> Very nice. Badly. Yeah. It could also do a sort of like, quaint clockwork orange kind of thing, but then those two things weren't going to set the world on fire, so. No. But that was the start, you know, that we was tried. the start. We tried, we tried. And computers got more powerful and we started using more computers rather than hardware sequences. So yeah. presumably... It might be getting a bit technical now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting <laughs> though, because I think it must change the nature of songwriting, because like I said at the beginning, for me, what I heard in New Order, which I still do, was always an emotional feeling. It wasn't, it wasn't just about the abstract future or anything like that. It was always about human life and yeah. how we interact with each other and how, you know, what we fight about and everything else. That's the stuff that classic songs are made of. But your way of making those classic songs is now in a completely different way. I mean, were you like writing songs on the guitar and then transposing it or like actually thinking, oh, this is interesting. That could be the beginning of this emotional idea. No, we used to, like, for instance, Blue Monday, 
we have an idea in my head for like a bass line or drum beat and then it'd be a question the very simplistic gear that we had then is just programming one note in at a time for the whole song like you had a you had a hardware sequencer that you could do 16th notes eighth notes quarter notes and you'd have to work it all out on paper and then program it in hit a key program hit a key program it in and then someone go do you want a cup of tea and you go yeah yeah and then you go ah ah where was it just lost and everything and then you have to start right we've got to start again at the start and um yeah it was difficult and then we had the crazy idea of taking that stuff out live on stage and running it all live not using tape machines but but running the this very fragile equipment live um, because no one else was doing it and i thought well no one else is doing it if we do it then then we'll have a a, a cutting edge advantage because we would be the only band doing it but then we found out the reason no one else was, was doing, doing it, it yeah. broke down all the time <laughs> it's a total disaster yeah we actually took um well, he was a scientist, Martin Usher. Martin yeah. Usher, Martin. Martin Usher, he was a scientist that helped me um, design some of the equipment I built in the early days. And we actually took him on, on tour with us uh, to Australia. And we had five Profit Fives. And, you know, any time two would be broken, the idea would, he would be there to fix it. We took him on tour with us and nothing broke down. No. <laughs> Yeah. He's the most important member of the yeah. band. Yeah, he was, yeah. yeah. As soon as he left the room, <laughs> chaos. The whole thing fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. So, as Andy Burnham said in his, his very nice introduction, you know, New Order have been integral to Manchester music. There's this, beyond the music, this uh, uh, music conference launching. I've got a question, which is, you know, you look at the history of Manchester music, it's so rich, there's so much that's come out mm. of this city. Why is that? Why do you think Manchester has punched above its weight musically so much? That's a very good question. And a lot of people have asked me, and I don't really know what the straight answer is. It's a college town, and a lot of people want to go to Manchester because it's kind of now, it's kind of like a really hit place. And why? I think it's just every city has got a number of bands but the percentage of good ones compared to bad ones is much higher in, uh, in, in Manchester. And I don't know why that is. I think it's, there's a good community. I, I, think, I think there's not... Um, I think there's a lot of creative... For some reason, there's a lot of creative people in Manchester. Um, but there's, there, certainly in the 70s and early 80s, there wasn't a, a great deal of outlets for that creativity. You know, if you were a creative person, it was a bit frowned upon, like I said about in school. And um, there wasn't, what, you want to get a job in the creative industries? There aren't any. How about cutting hair or, you know, working in a photography shop or something? There was no creative outlets. So you were like, hmm, right, so I'm good at something, but it's actually useless in the city where I live. Um, so you had to make your own outlet so people would form bands. There was always, I mean, I, always, I went to Salford Grammar School and at Salford Grammar there was always a, a big culture of music. I, me, I remember we had a geography teacher and, and we had a really cool young dude of a geography teacher and he said, listen guys, we could cause a lot of trouble. He said, if you don't make trouble in, in my class, 
Um, we got break time after, and there's a record player in the back room. You can bring your records in every geography lesson, and you can play your music in there. And he was really cool. So we'd bring albums in, and we'd play them and talk about music. So there was a big culture at school about it. Um, yeah, I don't know. For some reason, people are just interested in music because it was a, a Manchester in those days was extremely bleak. You know, it was uh, Manchester was a, a big industrial city, a bit like Detroit. And um, after the industry left, it was it was pretty much a crumbling ruin in, in places. So it was quite a brutal place. So because it was kind of ugly on the outside, it made you turn inside for beauty. And um, I think those two reasons, lack of creative outlets and the, brut the brutal, brutally visual city, made you turn in and make your own beauty. Yeah. I thought it also might be because it rains a lot. Uh, it, 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 yeah, exactly. No, that that is Same true. Voice. I think it's got. It doesn't to do rain with it. a lot anymore. It rains more in London now, actually. <laughs> I just want it's to say that's warming. totally untrue. <laughs> it did rain a lot. I know because I used to drive around on a scooter and a motorbike, and it rained a lot yeah. in those days. It really doesn't rain as much now. But I mean, the winters were, were brutal. They just rained a lot, and there's a lot of fog, and you, you would stay inside, you know. And, and TV was rubbish, even worse than it is now. And um, we would um, sit around with your friends and play music, talk about music, and then go and see bands like Gillian yeah. said, and you know, and then you get yeah. inspired. Uh, get inspired, yeah. We loved music. I mean, for me, I, I wasn't interested in music at all until I was sixteen. When I was sixteen, I went to see, to see um, spaghetti western films, and I saw I was visual. I was interested in visual art. That was my thing. And when I went to see the spaghetti western films, which were a, co a beautiful combination of, of, of wonderful vis visuals and camera angles, and you know the way it was shot, uh, combined with the music venue on Morricone, that that lit a fuse in me, and that and suddenly I was interested in music. I got a, a record player and, and bought spaghetti western albums, and then got interested in more sort of rock music, but my first thing was the orchestral music of um, Ennio Morricone, and then pop on the radio, T-Rex, I like T-Rex, Rider White Swan was the first record I ever bought, and Jimi Hendrix, and Led Zeppelin, and, and stuff, and then, yeah. All brilliant stuff. There's also, you know, once New Order got going, it wasn't just about music, and I think there was, it's been very well documented that New Order were really at the heart of this Manchester scene with, you know, so you had the Hacienda, you had um, Tony Wilson, who is one of the most, I mean, to have a primetime television presenter who's also the, the cutting edge of Manchester music, it's, you know, it's like Alan Partridge being into Einstein's end of Neubarten. It just, it's just <laughs> not what you'd expect. Yeah. Um, so you had, you, had Al, you had him and, and then, of course, Peter Saville doing all those amazing designs. I don't, again, I don't know if this was by design or accident, but it seemed that there were these people working in all different artistic fields, mm -hmm. knew each other, working together, trying to do something, and, which is all, but it's all Manchester-based. It's all putting Manchester on the map. How much of that was, you know, were there conversations about, we, you know, well, t trying to make it all happen? Tony and Rob Gretna, our manager, absolutely loved Manchester. Mm. They were in love with it, more than we were, you know. Um, but you'd go to gigs and you see Tony, you'd be 
stood in the queue waiting to get in and Tony would mosey on in to the front of the queue with his saddlebags that he always wore and everyone would, hey Wilson you bastard what are you doing get in the queue with us and he'd be like that and walk in you know so he was a known a known face on the scene um, um, yeah and uh, it, it was just by accident wasn't it really it was, it was all it was all by accident I mean the thing about Tony uh, one of the things about him was he knew a lot of people and he would, he would sort of, they'd, they'd network each other. And he'd say, oh, you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing that. And it was, well, he never told me anything about it. Yeah. He, just, he, he kind of, he was a catalyst uh, for, for a lot of things like... Uh, he was a good communicator. Wasn't yeah, he was, he was very good at communicating, convincing you to do things which anybody else... You'd say that's a terrible idea, Tony. But the way you sell it, it's great. <laughs> yeah. And we we went we went along with it. I mean, it, it, it was purely by fluke that he got an inheritance that enabled Joy Division to do the first to do Unknown Pleasures. And again, it, him knowing Peter Savile, and he he did the posters for the Factory Nights at the Russell Club. Um, he, he was a really great communicator and I always thought he would have ended up being the mayor of Manchester but we've got Andy instead yeah and he, <laughs> we needed a good communicator if anyone tried to talk to us we'd be like what what do you want what, what, <laughs> what why is he talking to me what, what go away go somewhere else yeah. what what do you want you know that, that was just what people were like <laughs> leave me alone don't talk to me you know Moody teenager. Oh no, I'm 22. <laughs> and so we needed people like Tony, who was like, um, could talk to people because we couldn't talk to people in those days. Mm -mm. Well, talk about mm. talking the talk. I mean, I, I think this is right in terms of him being able to sell people ideas. That with Blue Monday, the packaging was so expensive that you lost money on every single copy sold. And so as it got better and better, Rather not, well, remind, we'd rather not be reminded about that. <laughs> <laughs> now, you see, the other thing about Tony is he liked a good myth. OK, so it wasn't actually true. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't. It was true. I was mixing a record um, for, for one of the bands on Factory, and, and actually, I think Johnny Marr was playing guitar on it. And um, we were in the studio, and Tony came in laughing, yeah. smiling. He said, oh, I've got good news and bad news. <laughs> he said, what do you want to hear first? I said, oh, the good news. And he said, well, that record, Blue Monday, that we were like, oh, yeah, it's just another record. He said, it's shooting up the charts. We've sold, like, thousands and thousands. It, it's going wild. I said, well, how could there be any bad news? He said, well, you know the holes in it that Peter Savile put in? I went, yes. He went... We're losing money because of the holes. <laughs> it, 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 the, the, if, for anyone who's not seen it, the original vinyl disc was made like a, 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 a floppy disc. disc. You know, we, we had a we used a, an instrument and it called an emulator one on it that used big floppy discs. And Peter Savile, uh, a sleeve designer, came in, saw the discs, and thought, right, I'll make a sleeve out of them. They had holes stamped in them. <laughs> and, and Tony was, I said, so we've written this record that's becoming incredibly successful, uh, but we're losing money on it because of, the, because of air, because of the holes, because of nothing. No he went, yes. He said, 
isn't it wonderful? And started laughing. <laughs> I said, no, it's not fucking wonderful, Tony. <laughs> I said, you're supposed to be the person in charge of all that, not me. He said, oh, it's all right, it's all right. We're going to start producing them now with, without the holes. <laughs> it, was, it was a phase. Oh, genius, yeah. Funny thing at the start. That Peter went through, if you remember, the very first orchestral manoeuvres album had far more holes in it. <laughs> so God knows how They much. lost a fortune. They Boys lost an absolute fortune. Yeah, McCluskey will tell you that story. They lost more money than we did. Yeah. Oh, it is true, because he told me personally. But eventually we stopped the holes and then we started making money. <laughs> Simple. <laughs> All of this makes, uh, again, I'm sure a lot of people know it because it's such a great film, 24-hour 24 24 party people sound like a documentary as opposed to a, a work of fiction. So I don't know how much that's... People know. say to me, if they've seen 24-hour party people, was it really like that? I was like, I'm like, no, it was worse than that. <laughs> it, that played it down. I'm not kidding, that played it down. <laughs> No, not everything, but quite a bit played it down. Chaotic. Chaotic. Is that the right yeah, word? Totally. Yeah. But it was, the thing is, it, was, it seems it was very chaotic, but very productive. Mm. You know, New Order were flying high, Factory Records was flying high, the Hacienda was the hippest club in, in Britain. Ah. Uh, mm. No, not true. <laughs> OK. Yeah. The Hacienda, let's move on from the Hacienda. Move That's on. a disaster. <laughs> but otherwise... Yeah, it was great, yeah. Yeah. But things were happening, that's what I'm saying. It wasn't yeah. so dysfunctional. Well, the nucleus was the music that made all that possible. The nuclear generator that made everything possible um, um, was the important thing. And we took that deadly serious. And we, um, I think we made with the right face, with the right music at the right time. And we, we really worked hard on the music. The rest of the stuff was, was fun peripheral you know but we were deadly serious in the studio and and um, i think that's that was the great enabler all of this has proved to have incredible longevity here we are in 2023 in austin new order's last album was fantastic music complete um and you're touring america right now mm -hmm. what keeps inspiring you and what makes it interesting at this stage in your career me it's the same thing. There's got, there's got, there's got a, there's something in what you're doing that you enjoy very much. Otherwise, you wouldn't carry on doing it, mm -hmm. really. Uh, and music is a form. It's a great form of self-expression. And for us, it's the same thing. That you were. It was freedom to do what you wanted, and it's still. Still that today. I, th I think um, the gigs are fun. I think um, sort of in the early days, we parted a little bit too much and we were always in a state of being worse for wear. And like one gig, gig could be brilliant and then the next one could be terrible. And one brilliant, one terrible. But, but now we, we, we do it in a different way. We're a lot more sensible. So the gigs are more fun and there's less of a pain aspect. And this sense of achievement when you get when you play a really good gig and you get everything right and the sounds right and, and the the audience are, you know more than fifty percent of of the of, of the equation and when you see the audience getting off on it um, 
it's it's real boost, you know, it's not an ego boost, it's just like it's an energy. us and the audience in the same room all enjoying the same music, you know. We enjoy playing it, we're not bored with any even Blue Monday, I'm not bored we played it, we played it for like no, 40, 40 years, years, I believe. Years. 40 years Ouch. we've been playing that bloody song. It is funny. Uh, yeah. Not every day for four years. Don't play yeah. it when we're not touring. <laughs> don't play it at Wake up home. in the morning and... Yeah. You know, yeah. when we get home, I don't put Blue Monday on. No, um, but it's a vibe, you know, it's a real vibe. We played it here the other night. The audience is fantastic. And we played in... Thank you, yeah. Thank you. Um, Moody Theatre. And San Antonio and Dallas. And it, it's just great. It's like having a party together, like having a party and, and the drug is music. Yeah. It reminded me with some uh, New Order gigs kind of reminded me of that vibe you used to get with raves, you know, where it's yeah. actually the band. Of course, the band's important, but it's the audience is just as important. You know what I mean? It's the atmosphere together. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's a two way deal without anything coming from the audience. We don't we, we've got nothing to feed off. So it's definitely a two-way deal, and um, yeah, but it's good. Sort of enjoy it more now than I used to in the past. Mm. I said at the beginning that New Order to me sound like sounded like the future then, and they sound like the future now. <laughs> um, how about the future of New Order, and also beyond the music? What's the goal? What's, what's your goal for it? What's your involvement with it? Um, well, it's obviously in its initial stages. I mean. Um, um, uh, we did have uh, in the city um, yeah, way back when Tony did. started. If it could be something like in the city, um, I'd like to see it as a multimedia thing because, and, and not just music. You know, um, is it is it? Um, there's a fest media arts festival in London. It's called the Freeze Festival in London for you, young artists. I think. Yeah, Freeze. That's yeah. I'd like art. to see something like that, some right. visual art, and um, also you know, you know, movie, uh, uh, film as well. So um, not just music, you know. And I, I, I think, but getting back to the music aspect of it, it's it's really really difficult for young musicians. To, 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 especially in the UK, to get anywhere these days because street, one thing is streaming, um, you know, there's, there's no money in releasing music, especially, I mean, it's okay for us established musicians, but not for young musicians. And, and it, it was always difficult. When we started out in Joy Division, it was difficult as hell, but it's incredibly difficult now. And now we've got bloody Brexit to contend with. Uh, it's difficult for English, mu uh, British musicians to go over and work in Europe, uh, having to deal with visas and um, and, and other uh, logistical problems. So, uh, it, you know, if it can help young musicians in Manchester, because, yeah, we're great, you know, but what happens when we're gone, you know? You still need that young music coming through. So I think one of the prime motivators of it should be to support um, young musicians and, and give them um, a window for their art, you know. And the good ones will come through. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the idea behind the, the festival, which is, as I gather, is, is, is a bit of a South by Southwest in Manchester, isn't it? The same kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. But there should be, and also, but there should be other bands coming from around the world in as well, not just English, British, 
music. It should be from all around the world as well. I, I would like to see that. I mean, we do have the Manchester International Festival, um, but that's, um, um, dare I say it, more of a highbrow event, um, um, which is also... And also they're building um, yeah, say a that. great arts complex in Manchester called, called The Factory, which is a huge concrete venue. It's, it's going to be pretty amazing, I think. Did you yeah, it's, the, it's in the old... Where Toby used to work, the old Granada building... And they've turned it into this it's fantastic, well, it's kind of a couple of spaces, but it's either one, two small ones, one big one. And it's, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, amazing. So the government, or one of the governments, have put a lot of money into it. And, um, as a, as, and it's a great arts complex that's being built from the ground up in Manchester. It's huge. And um, so we need... These, this kind of thing to fill that space, yeah. This is all tied up with the development of Manchester too. Mm. Uh, you describe Manchester of your youth as a, you know, a bleak place. How do you describe it now? Um, well, I notice there's a lot of building work going on in Austin, and Austin, that is quite burgeoning. Um, um, and you can kind of triple that in Manchester. It's, it's really... It's, hell of a lot of building work going on in Manchester. It, it's, I mean, I, I spent all my life in the city centre. I, I grew up in Salford, but I was really 15 minutes away from the city centre. And now sometimes I'll go into Manchester city centre and get lost. Where's that road gone? Where's it gone? You know, and where's that building gone? And so it's, it's changed a lot. Um, some of it for the worse, but, but a lot of it for the better, I think. What do you... yeah, there's a lot more um, life going on. There's lo 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 <coughs> loads of bars. Um, when we started after the Hacienda, there was only like four or five places. Now it's kind of like... Yeah, there's a lot of pubs, a lot of yeah. places. Yeah. There's nothing like there is now. Yeah, they won't let us in a lot of them, would they? No, they wouldn't let us in. <laughs> No, you can't come in, you're wearing trainers. What's the big deal about trainers? OK, we'll show you. We'll open a nightclub where you can get in wearing trainers. And then they won't let you in, would they? No, they wouldn't <laughs> let me in. And I wasn't even wearing trainers. Just didn't like the look of you? They didn't like the look of you, no. No, it's not for you, mate. <laughs> you used to be a lot more violent as well, Manchester. Like, when I first went up there, it, was quite, it could be quite rough. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's that side of things is definitely... Yeah, that's, that was... Very bad period in the 90s in particular. I think it's since it took lead out of petrol, made people, out of gasoline, it made people less violent. I think you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when they used to... Possibly. Give, they used to give Borstal boys bromide, didn't they? So they were suppressed. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was... It was bromide, that'd be bad, obviously. It, it was. It could be a very violent place. I remember as a teenager thinking, I don't like it, it's dangerous, you know. Um, especially in Salford, where I came from, was really rough, you know. You'd have to walk down the middle of the road at night. Um, I used to walk from my grandparents' house to my mother's house, and you'd have to walk down the middle of the road because it was too dangerous to walk on the pavement in case someone came out and laid in it, you know. Yeah. got one final question before we're going to uh, have some questions from the audience. There's been a few really interesting people who New Order have worked with, um, among them Iggy Pop... Bobby Gillespie, Brandon Flowers, Billy Corgan. I was wondering if there's one in particular who stuck out for you. Are you asking who was the most difficult? 
Oh, who's the most... <laughs> I guess that would be the in most... veiled terms. Yeah, I, I, I hadn't even occurred to me, but now you mention it. Um, um, no, I can't answer that, can I? <laughs> it would be so impolite. Oh, no, I was thinking more um, who'd be the most... Maybe, you know, who'd well, well, most, most interesting. Most musicians of note are quite quirky in their own ways and have their own idiosyncrasies, including us. <laughs> um, I don't know, is anyone you, what, think musicians that we've worked with? Difficult musicians. No, they've all been lovely. <laughs> absolute, absolute pussycat. Perfect all time. That's what all I, I, I've heard that about people in bands. Yeah. Gentlemen, <laughs> each and every one of them. Uh, well, Iggy, Iggy was, uh, you know, he was um, <sighs> a long time hero, so it was quite amazing to work with him. I remember um, when we were first put into Joy Division together and, um, Ian called um, and um, he got the job as singer and he said, oh, I've got my own PA system. If you come to my house um, before rehearsals, we can pick it up. And I remember going to his house and sort of meeting him for the first time and he, he said, oh, new Iggy album's just come out. You've got to listen to this track. And he put China Girl on off the idiot. Wow. And I'd not really heard Iggy Pop before that. I was more listened to Lou Reed, and um, that was kind of... And I heard it, and immediately clicked with me. I thought, wow, it's an amazing track, really great track, really got something. So just the first bit of music me and Ian heard together. So it was, for me, and, and he's just fantastic, isn't he? I think all the artists in their, that we've worked with in their own way have, have been fantastic, yeah. Of course, all yeah. the, you know, very, very yeah. interesting. And it's, 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 some, it, it's sometimes interesting to work with um, different artists because um, if, it, if it's just us for, for many years and you don't have any outside influence, I think you can start repeating yourself. And sometimes if you work with a different artist and, and they work in a different way to you, you can learn something fresh and you go oh, I never thought of that I never thought of doing it that way that's interesting so it's 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 good from that point of yeah because everyone falls into their own patterns inevitably so you mm. break those patterns which I think New Order have always been good at doing okay yeah. I'm blind as a bat so I'm just going to try and lean <laughs> forward and try and read this um okay what is your latest music discovery oh god um my latest music discovery was a track by the Maccabees called Spit It Out. Really like it. Um, I've just been to see the 1975 <laughs> uh, with my daughters. They got me into them. But, uh, yeah, that's what I've been listening to, the latest album. Stephen, have you had anything that's late, got you I'm, 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 I haven't discovered anyone lately. Um, I, like old, a band, I, like a, I like a band from Brighton called Jira and Miyagi, who are, who are very good. If you ever get a chance, check their stuff out. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> and Gabe Guernsey, who I've got a plug because he goes out with my daughter. He's good. Very nice. Sorry, Gabe. And sings, daughter oh. sings, on the record. Yeah. Okay, question two, which is, oh my God, I really am blind. Do you want me to hold the screen for you? Great yeah, show on Monday. Just read it, yeah. Can you read this? Yeah, I can read it. Great show on Monday. 
What do Bernard, Gillian and Stephen think about the use of AI to create music and about AI potentially learning from their mistakes? Oh, sorry, repertoire. <laughs> You've just done me out of a job. Sorry. Anyway, well, carry on. No, no, it's all right. I'll, I'll... Go on. What do you think? Um, oh, well... Well, if it's going to put us out of business, obviously we don't like it. <laughs> my, one of my son's programs, AI, so I've got to be tactful about what I say about it. But um, can it really... It, it can do a rough sketch, I think, of music, but it can't create original emotion because AI creates thought patterns. It doesn't create emotion you can't really describe emotion can you it's a feeling so I, think... I go I go back to what I said at the beginning of the new order you know once it was machine music the emotion came through well you know when we started using electronic music a lot of people go oh, it's cold it sounds cold but it, it, it's, it the machines don't make the music if you put cold music in cold music will come out and um, yes yeah, it's, it's down to the creator um, I think it might, AI might be able to create a rough approximation of meaningless <coughs> tunes, but it won't have any um, lasting emotional connection. I think, I hope so. Yeah, I kind of think of it as a sort of autocorrect approach to making Yeah, music. yeah. Because autocorrect is AI after all. Yeah. So, yeah. But right, let's, let's give this one, next one a go. Um, I, do you want me to do it? Uh, yeah, you, would you? Oh, <laughs> my dad saw you at Stirling University in 1983 and I saw you on Monday at ACL Live. How has performing changed between now and then? Stephen. Well, <laughs> Isabel, we've... Um, um, technology, really, isn't it? Well, well, I was going to say we've got more professional <laughs> in, our, in, our, in our approach to performing. Of course, Do yes. you still need the scientist on, on tour with you? No. no. No, we don't know. No, <laughs> no, Equipment's we, more reliable. Yeah. We don't have any of that anymore. It's completely reliable. <laughs> completely reliable. Never goes wrong. And um, there's just us to go wrong now. But we, 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 yeah. I think it's more fun. I think it's more fun now because yeah. we don't get as, let's be honest, fucked up as we used to. <laughs> Wasn't our fault. <laughs> I guess it's kind of, I mean, you're encouraged, aren't you? Yeah. You know, it's, it's all laid job. out before you. Yeah. Yeah. The next one is, how did your collaboration with the Killers come about? Um, were you responsible for the band's name? Ooh, um, that's controversial. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, the Killers did get the name from... Uh, the video. Uh, uh, the video for Crystal. The, the, the fake band in Crystal has the name The Killers on the drum, on the drum kit and, the kill, and I think Brandon saw it and got it from there and, and I met Brandon at um, awards thing in um, Enemy Awards in London and just got friendly with him and then we did a few gigs together and um, you know, got on with him, yeah, and I like them they're a good band yeah, simply simply that really Gillian, do you want to do the honours on the next one since next I'm completely <clears throat> incapable of doing it? This is what a controversial one. Top one. one. City, City, City of Interest. United, yeah. I could read that one. Oh, City yeah, of there's not many words in that one. Oh. Yeah, exactly. I presume it means it's... Manchester City or Manchester United Football uh, Club. I prefer um, United. 
Yeah, all right. Manchester United, yeah. Manchester yeah. United, don't do football. <laughs> I think it... it Macclesfield it, Town. <laughs> which team you support depends on where you come from in Manchester. And I'm from Salford. Salford is like a um, twin city with... Manchester's like that, Salford's like that, intruding on Manchester. A lot of Salford is closer to the centre of Manchester than a lot of Manchester. And virtually everyone from Salford supports um, United. If you don't, you will get killed. <laughs> yeah, so, it's very important. That's why. And you tend to support the um, team that your parents support as well, supported, yeah. So City, I mean, Oasis is City, aren't they? They are, yeah. yeah. And that's but it's Burnley. because of where they come from, yeah. yeah. So that's northern Manchester, right? Yeah. Tribalism, tribalism. It's never going to go away. <laughs> uh, oh, do you... <laughs> yeah, just, would you? I can't I've do just it. seen the third one. Do you like K-pop? Do you like K-pop? Well, I you know personally what? love K-pop. It's quite an interesting question. It is, because yeah. it's almost like New Order on, on the next level. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put this did, politely. Did we discover K-pop in Houston? Was it Houston? Yeah, because we watched um, a film on the plane with my daughter. He said, let's watch a film at exactly the same time and then we can talk about it. And it was called um, EXO Live Next Door, which EXO is a big K-pop band. And I just love the music and the fashion and makeup and stuff. So, yeah. So my daughter's not into K-pop now, but I still am, because she's right. like 16 then. She's moved on. She's yeah. moved on. There. There's no mum. Just turn that off in the car. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd better just say no comment. No comment. <laughs> I think that's fair enough. <laughs> we've, we've very much... I don't want to be time. awful. I don't want to be awful. No, I won't be awful, but there's... No comment is... Uh, it's, it's is there ever a place for vegetarianism in rock these days? No. <laughs> Vanguardism. 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 What what's Vanguardism? Is there a place well, for vegetarianism? Well, I mean, Morrissey thinks yeah. there is. Vanguardism. No, it was what, my Vanguard little joke. Oh, sorry. I twisted the word. <laughs> yeah. Um, Vanguardism. Is there a place? Mm, that's interesting because media's been... Um, music media's been around so much and it's so accessible now that you, you hear... You've heard... All music history. You can you can on on iTunes not iTunes anymore. Apple Music or, or Spotify. You can hear all music history, and you can hear all music current. And the reservoir of music has got bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's a huge reservoir. So I'd like to hope that you, someone will come along and reinvent music. And, and, and give that seismic shift that we gave with um, Blue Monday and Kraftwerk gave with Trans Europe Express. And, um, but it's difficult, you know, you, you, we always used to think of electronic music as the music as the future. Well, we're in that future now. So actually electronic music isn't as futuristic as it once was. It's, it's just the laws of physics, you know, the way it works. But I don't know. It's always somewhat surprising, isn't it? I think your music always shifts. Yeah. Always, always, always. Yeah. And I have this argument with people my own age. You say, oh, you know, it's better back then. I think it's not true. I think when you're young and you've got something to say, and it doesn't matter if it's new to you. I, th I, think, that's, I think that's the key. When you're a young person and you come along and you don't have all that musical baggage, 
and you're seeing things in a virgin way for the first time. And, you know, as an adult, you come at something that way, whereas a teenager will come at music that way and surprise you, you know. Um, you know, so hopefully, yeah. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, the thing is, when you hear it, you'll hate it because that, that's what it is at Vanguardism. It's like, it's got to be so completely like all the other stuff that you can hear. And because you've never heard it before, you automatically distrust it. Um, but yeah, I hope that happens. Yeah, it will do. It will, it will do. do. I mean, it's original thought. That's why punk was so transformative when mm. actually the music was three or four chords. But mm. the whole thing was, you know, terrifying to so many people. Exactly. Mm. On that note, we've got about a minute left, so maybe oh, wow. one more question. Uh, I, I, <laughs> if, if anyone um, can read oh, it. Yeah, one that you can answer in a minute. Here you go. My dad saw you in a pub in Halifax <laughs> in 1977 when Joy Division went by the name of Warsaw. Why did he change the name of the band back then? Because there was another band called Warsaw. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the perfect answer. Yeah. <laughs> New order. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.